Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Thank you for that. It is uh, it's such an honor for me to be with you all today. First time ever to Indianapolis for me. Been to many places around the country and world, but first time here. I've been through Indiana many, many times on my way from the Twin Cities uh, to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I grew up as a kid. So many times crossed Route 80, but never, never down here in this neck of the woods in Boilermaker country, I guess. Good win last night, yeah. Any IU fans out there? I'm a Penn State guy. I was a Penn State grad, so I'm still licking my wounds from two nights ago with the Boilermakers, but good for you. Uh, great win yesterday, and today is today the final with Iowa? Okay, good. Uh, you know, our church, Eagle Brook, uh, has a very special relationship with your senior pastor, John, and through him, we have gotten to know, know and love this church, Connection Point. This I don't know if you know this. I hope you do. This is a fantastic church, and the future is just going to be really fun for us to watch. Yep. You know, when John texted me last January, uh, and we text back and forth once in a while, and he said, Bob, at our Christmas services this year, the number of people who made a decision to follow Christ was 863. I was blown away when I heard that. That, gang, that doesn't happen very often. And so God's hand is all over this church. And I don't know if you know this, but your pastor, John, is one of the best teachers and pastors in the nation, top 1% for sure. And so you are, you are extremely blessed as a church to have him and Mel's wife and their family. Um, I'm just thrilled to be with you today. It truly is an honor. By the way, here's my family. Uh, we took this picture a couple weeks ago. It was below zero outside, and so don't let the smiles fool you. There was a lot of complaining. You know, Dad, why do we have to do this? And I said, well, I'm doing a little traveling and need to show who you are. So my son and daughter-in-law are on the left, David and his family, three little kids, my wife, who really is the anchor in our family. She's the one who uh, is all good. <laughs> uh, my daughter on the right, uh, Meg and her husband, Nellie, and there are three little kids as well in the Twin Cities. They all live by us. They attend our church. Uh, wonderful Christian people. We're just blessed by God. Uh, but today's message uh, is a series we're calling Done With That, uh, based on a lifelong struggle I have had with 2 Corinthians 5.17. And it says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old life is gone. The new life has come. And I've heard so many preachers say, you know, once you become a Christian, everything changes. The old life's gone, new life has come. And I hear that and I think, well, then what's wrong with me? Because everything hasn't changed in my life. If the old life is gone, why do I still sin? Why do I still get angry at times, jealous and greedy? And that's what this series, Done With That's all about. What does it mean to be done with the old life and start living the new life. A couple of years ago, my wife and I drove down to the Mayo Clinic 
uh, in Rochester, Minnesota, which is about 50 miles south of the Twin Cities, to visit my daughter and son-in-law, who was in residency there at the time. But on the way down traveling south on Highway 52, there were several road construction projects on the northbound lane uh, that would affect our drive home later that evening. And at one point, my wife said, Bob, look at all the traffic going north. They're in a standstill, thinking we're going to be in trouble later on. I said, well, by the time we return home, it shouldn't be a problem. Had a great day in Rochester, and as we drove home going north, we came to a construction zone, but the traffic was no problem at all. So I said to my wife, see, no traffic, we're going to fly right through. But she said this wasn't the spot with all the traffic. It was closer to the Twin Cities. Knowing that she was wrong, I corrected her and said, no, this is the spot. I'm absolutely sure of it. I marked it in my memory. She matched my intensity and said, no, this isn't the spot. It was closer to the Twin Cities. Just wait and see. Now, a wiser man would have let it lay, would have realized that even if I am right, which I was, there was nothing to be gained by proving I was right. Instead, I said, no way, I'm absolutely positive this is the spot. And I knew I was right and that she was wrong. In fact, I was so sure of it, I said, I'll bet you 100 bucks I'm right, which is so stupid <laughs> because she manages all our money anyway. But I said, I'll bet you 100 bucks I'm right. This is the spot. There is no other spot. I marked it again in my memory. And I could tell that I'd planted a little seed of doubt in her mind and that she was softening just a bit. But she said, I still think the spot with all the construction was closer to the city. I said, nope. I said, this was the spot. And then I said, I can't believe you doubt me on this. She said, are you kidding me? You've been wrong on stuff like this all the time. I said, yeah, but not this time. And I was right, so right, so sure, so happy until about 20 miles south of the Twin Cities, I noticed an orange construction sign ahead, followed by a string of orange barrels, and then a line of traffic backed up for miles. I came to a complete stop on the freeway, and I was hoping my wife wouldn't notice. But she did notice. She's usually a very kind and sweet and forgiving person, but not this time. She was boiling mad, so mad that it struck my funny bone, and I just, I just lost it, started laughing, and then it happened. She called me a bad word. Right there on the freeway, she called me a donkey's rear end, only the real thing. She called me a jack, you know what I mean? And I said, you're not allowed to call me that. She says, well, that's what you are. And then under her breath, she said, idiot. And I just, I just laughed. The tears were coming down my face. Just lost it. Now, gang, early in our marriage, that little battle of the wills would have sent us in a tailspin for about three days. Silent treatment, grumping along. These days, we don't, you know, we're so old, we don't have energy to fight, so we just... We just give up. But what happened that day still happens on occasion with us. We've been married over 40 years. You know, we get into a tangle. 
tensions rise, we start letting words fly, and we slink away into our corners and think, why is that person such a jerk? When the truth is, why am I such a jerk sometimes? Why am I such a donkey's behind? The Bible says the old life is gone. A new life has come, but the old life isn't gone. You know, the old life of anger and pride and selfishness is just beneath the skin, and it can rise up and surface anytime. I've been a Christian most of my life, a pastor. I read the Bible. I pray almost every day, but I still sin. And here's, here's my definition of sin. I think it's really anything that hurts people, hurts myself, and hurts others. And a habit, you know, a habit can be good or bad and it may not be that hurtful, but a sin is always damaging to yourself and to other people around you. The truth is we all still sin. So what did Paul mean when he said the old life is gone? Well, what actually is gone? Well, there's at least three or four things. Being separated from God is gone. You know, Ephesians 2 says... At one time, you were separated from God because of your sin, but you no longer are. We have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ who paid for our sin. So being separated, that's gone. The penalty for sin is gone. Jesus paid the penalty for your sins and mine when he died on a cross, paid in full, past, present, and future sins. So we don't have to pay the penalty for sin. Jesus did that. There are consequences to sin. For sure, and sometimes they linger for a long time. But the penalty, the eternal penalty for our sin is completely paid for. And the bondage to sin is gone. We all still sin, but we don't have to be enslaved to it. We can make progress and overcome these things. Romans 6, 6 says, our old self was crucified with Christ. So we should no longer be slaves to sin. We all still sin, but we don't have to be in bondage to it. So all of that's gone. What isn't totally gone is our tendency to sin because of our sinful human nature. You know, the prevailing thought in society is that we are all basically good. But the Bible teaches that we were all born sinners. And by the way, if you have kids, you understand that. You know, my kids and my grandkids, they came out of the chute as life-sucking little monsters. They were sinners at birth. And they needed correction, and they still do, and I do too. Sinners at birth and sinners by choice. The problem is there's a battle going on inside every person who is a believer in Christ. If you're not a believer and you're just checking things out here today, we're so glad you're here. And sometimes you don't feel this inner tension. You don't feel this battle because, well, you know, the the darker life is just kind of how you roll. But if you're, if you're a Christian here today, there is a battle going on inside of you. In fact, Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 5. He says, live according to your new life in the Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. He goes on to say, these two forces, God's Spirit who lives inside every Christian and the sinful human nature, these two forces are constantly fighting each other inside every believer And your choices, he says, are never totally free 
from this conflict. So there's a battle inside. Uh, He says there's a conflict between our old life and new life, between God's spirit and our sinful human nature. It never stops. A couple verses later, he says the acts of the sinful nature, you don't have to guess what they are. He says the acts of the sinful nature are very obvious, and he gives a list here. He says sexual immorality, which, by the way, when you're reading the New Testament especially, that one is usually leading the list every time. Because sexual immorality is so damaging to myself and to other people. It just is. And all of, a lot of us have crossed that line and there's forgiveness, there's grace. Start today. Draw a line in the sand, say never again. Impure thoughts, selfishness, jealousy. He lists them, lying, hatred, quarreling, rage, drunkenness. And then he says this word strife. Kind of a catch-all word where it's like, oh, my life is just, ah, oh, strife. It's not going well. There's inner conflict. There's turmoil all the time. Just strife. By the way, this is not an exhaustive list of sins. There are other ones. But he says you can know what the sinful nature, the acts of the sinful nature are. And he warns us, don't give in to these things. Why? Because in Romans 6, he says these things lead to death. Maybe not right away. But how many relationships have died because of this sin of sexual immorality? How many friendships are damaged because of jealousy or hatred? How many careers suffer and terminate because someone can't tell the truth? They they lie, they deceive, they're dishonest. They shade things. Can't be trusted. How many families die a slow death because of quarreling in the home or rage or drunkenness? He says the acts of the sinful nature always result in some sort of death to families, relationships, careers, and financial stability. Now, gang, that's the bad news. The good news is we don't have to live in those things. We're tempted and we, we, we tip and we dip. But he says there's this other force in your life. It's the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit produces these things. Love, by the way, is primarily not a feeling, it's a behavior. Love is patient. I've never wanted to be patient. I've never felt like being patient. That's a choice, that's a behavior. Love, joy. How's the joy factor in your life these days? Is there joy? Is there peace? Are you filled with God's peace? Or is it just turmoil all the time? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says, these are the things that lead to life. And the word is zoe in the Greek. It means life to its fullest degree, to the most joyous, abundant, possible way to live life. These things, the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, we also get power from the Spirit to live this way. It's the power source. But there's this battle going on inside us between God's Spirit and our sinful nature And whichever way we tip, Paul says, will either bring a kind of death to us or a kind of life to us. So in the time we have left, real quickly, I'm going to give you three ways to begin to defeat the old life. And some of you practice this all the time. But the first way is be led by the Spirit. You know, all through the New Testament, 
The Bible says things, be led by the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, be controlled by the Spirit. This is a primarily a spiritual battle that is waged within. And so the Bible says we need to be filled with, led by, controlled by God's Spirit who is the power source to overcome the sinful patterns in our life. Now again, if you're a Christian, God's spirit lives inside you. He never leaves. The moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says God's spirit took up residence inside you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside every Christian here. Man, he's there. That power source is there to live this new life. But that's different than being filled with the spirit being controlled, led by the Spirit. Sometimes I'm not filled with the Spirit because I leak. I've got holes in my life, holes in my soul. And I leak. I'm not always led or controlled by the Spirit because I'm often led or controlled by the stock market swings or social media or deer hunting. I, I love to deer hunt. My wife says, Bob, you lose your mind during deer hunting season. I'm controlled sometimes by other things in my life. So what controls you? I was on a flight recently, and the guy next to me was reading a book on his phone. And I thought, good for you. You know, most guys don't read. And, uh, you know, they get into marriage trouble. Have you ever read read a book on marriage? No? Well, come on. I've read Popular Mechanics, you know, Field and Stream, all that kind of stuff, but so he's reading a book, and I thought, good for you. And then I, I kind of, I was squinting to see what he was reading. And it, it was a little difficult, because I can't see that well. But I, I started reading, and I, can, and I can tell you, what he was reading was so perverse and so pornographic. It just, it saddened me. And then after a half hour, he, he flipped to a, a video game on his phone. A grown man playing a video game. Grand Theft Auto or something, I thought. What chance? And by the way, that's fine if you're a guy and likes to do that. Have at it. No problem. But I thought, what chance does this guy have of being led by, filled by, controlled by the Spirit when his mind and heart is filled with this? He's so filled with everything else, I don't think there's much room for God's Spirit. So again, what are you filled with? Gang, every single morning, I need to recalibrate my soul. And so I have a spot in my house and a place where it's quiet. My wife has her spot. And every single morning I sit down, I read God's word, I confess my sin. God, forgive me for all the things I did yesterday. And now would you fill me with your spirit? Lead me. Show me. Help me be the kind of person you want me to be today. And it's a daily filling because, again, I leak I I get affected by TV and media and just the grind of life, so I need a refilling of God's Spirit every single day. A couple years back, uh, we moved our daughter and son-in-law from Missouri uh, to Pittsburgh for his fellowship year at the University of Pittsburgh, and Nellie is his nickname. And Nellie drove the U-Haul truck, and my daughter flew with the two little girls to Pittsburgh, and my wife and I drove the car uh, from the Twin Cities to Pittsburgh, got as far as Janesville, Wisconsin, where we stopped for the night, pulled into a Holiday Inn Express, and at the counter 
was an older couple checking in. Now, one of my spiritual gifts is making snap judgments about people who annoy me. (laughs) And this older woman had both arms draped across the counter demanding things from this young gal behind the counter, and it did not take me long for for me to peg this, this older lady. She was pushy, entitled, and manipulative because she was old. But she wasn't that old. She was just using it to get her way. But I was trying to let the Spirit lead me. But again, it was later in the day, And I was doing okay until I met this lady two hours later at an elevator. We were both on the second floor, but I needed to go to the fifth floor because I was coming from the gym to my room, and she wanted to go to the first floor to, I guess, do some more complaining. So we were were on this crash course to the lone elevator, but I was 40 yards ahead of her. So clearly... I had dibs on the elevator. But she stepped right up, put right into my personal space, rounded the corner, and pushed the down button. I had already pushed the up button. She pushed the down button, and my up button went off. And her down button went on. And in that moment, I I thought, nope, not going to happen. No way is this old gal going to violate elevator protocol. So the door opened, she stepped in, and she quickly tried to hit floor number one. No kidding, true story, she missed. So I slipped my hand, hit door, or, you know, yeah, thank you, five. (laughs) Floor number five, and floor number five lit up, and she said this to me. Never met this lady in my life. I hope you didn't mess me up. I said, well... I think we're going to take a ride to the fifth floor first. And we did. Longest elevator ride in my life. No kidding. We were there just, you know. Now, I should have been more Christian about it. But I leak. By day's end, I'm dangerous. You know, but what if I didn't have God's spirit at all? Probably would have told her off. And by the way, there's a time and place to confront people who are like that. But the Bible says, be controlled by the Spirit. Anyone here out of control? With your language, anger, drinking, spending, that brings a kind of death to everything around you? Gang, I don't know about you, but I need help. I need God's power every single day. I need to recalibrate my heart and my soul and my mind by reading a little scripture and just asking God, God, lead me through this day. I need you. So that's the first way to defeat sin in our life. Uh, second way is to identify your signature sin, because I don't know about you, but I battle some sins more than others, and I have a signature sin that I've battled all my life. What would you say is your signature sin, that no matter how many times you've said it, You say, I'm never going to do that again, but it still happens. For me, it's verbal misconduct. 
All my life, I've struggled with saying things that are offensive and hurtful to people. And for those who say, Bob, come on, there's got to be something bigger than that, more juicy than that. Um, Let me remind you how lethal hurtful words are. Proverbs says, the tongue or a text has the power of life and death. That words can actually kill someone. You know, cyber bullying today is epidemic and teens who just get into depression and think about suicide or even commit suicide is epidemic in our world just because of what people say. James 3 says the tongue is full of deadly poison. I'm not saying I don't struggle with other Sins because I do. I have satellite sins that kind of orbit my life. But the one that has most potential to ruin my relationships and damage my reputation involves my big fat mouth. And so again, what's yours? To defeat the old life, you have to really be honest about and identify what are those things that you typically trip over. And if you don't know, let me ask a question. What causes you to lose things? Like friendships, job opportunities, money, you know, happiness in yourself and in those around you. You know, some people are in a constant state of loss because of an addiction or dishonesty or overindulgence. And some of you might be saying, but Bob, you don't understand. It's not my fault. It's my boss, if you only knew. I get it. Or it's my neighbor. It's my brother. He's insane. Or she, or whatever. My father, my mother, my siblings. They're the problem in my life. They are what produces all this venom. And again, I get it. If, if someone is addicted or dishonest or abusive in your circle, that needs to be dealt with. But right now I'm asking you about you. As sinful as other people are, is there something in your life that causes loss and pain to you and to others? By the way, the goal is not perfection. We're never going to be perfect in this life. The goal is progress. But I'm telling you, you you really need to identify, if you haven't already, what is your signature sin? Be honest about it. Decide to fight it. Decide you're going to do something about it and then ask God to help you overcome it. Third and finally today, to to overcome sin is to develop new desires. And I just love this. I love this thought, this point. Romans 6, 12, don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to its desires. You know, one way to weaken our desire for the sinful life is to develop new desires in our life. How do we do that? David wrote it this way. He says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart or God will begin to give you new desires. By the way, that you showed up today on, uh, you know, the time change at the 9 o'clock service, 9.15, way to go. That took something. There's something in you. You are delighting in the Lord. You desire to be around other people who are 
walk in the same way, live in the same way, you want to be in church, you want to be in worship, you want to hear from God, you are taking delight in the God. I just want to say, wait, I'd hire you folks. Next service, I'm not sure so much, but this, this service, yeah. Because when we chase after God, he will change. This is so true. He will begin to change your desires. When we get a taste for a new kind of love and joy and peace, our desire for things that bring loss and pain begin to die. Three years ago, I stood in front of our congregation. I was raving about how amazing gelato is. And I said, once you get a taste of gelato and how good it is, your desire for Kemp's ice cream will die, is what I said. I said, when you start getting a taste for God's love, joy, peace, and relational wholeness, the life of anger, dishonesty, sexual impurity, and relational loss will lose its attraction because life and peace will feel so much better than sin and death, and you won't be able to get enough of it. Well, the national headquarters for Kemp's Ice Cream is in St. Paul, where we live. So when I said, get a taste, get a taste of gelato and your desire for Kemp's will, will die, our office got a call from Kemp's headquarters the very next day, because evidently the director of sales for Kemp's attend our church, I didn't know that, and he showed up, he showed up Monday morning in our office complex asking to have a word with me. My assistant offered to run interference. I said, no, I got to face this myself. But instead of being mad, he stood in our lobby holding an armful of Kemp's ice cream with a big smile on his face. He had 64 pints, flavors like sweet cream, espresso, mocha, never heard of that, and strawberry rhubarb cobbler. His name is Guy Fix. No kidding. That's just Guy Fix, and he's all winsome and smiles. It fits him. He unloaded a dozen pints of ice cream into my arms and then ran out to his truck to get 50 more pints. It was the first time we had met. And all Guy said to me was, just taste it. So I did. I sampled like 10 of them. And it was shockingly good. At the end of Romans 8, do you remember this? At the end of Romans 8, Paul is trying to describe how good God's love is. And he just can't find the words. He says, it's so big, it's so beyond. It's so deep. Words can't describe how great and how good God's love is. You simply have to experience it and live in it every single day. Psalm 34, David says, you got to taste and see that God is good every single day. You know, people often chase after everything but God and then wonder why their lives feel empty. Gang, there is nothing on this planet that you can travel to that can fill the space that God wants to fill in your life. There's nothing you can buy on this planet. There's no other person who can satisfy 
There's no other sports team or iPhone upgrade. By the way, I love Big Ten basketball. Don't get me wrong. But there's no other sports team or iPhone upgrade that can fill the hole that we all have for God's love and forgiveness and companionship. Man, invite God into every part of your life, into your entertainment choices, career decisions, your spending and giving, or you will end up chasing things that leave you empty. The very next weekend after I met Guy, we were opening a new campus there in the Twin Cities. We expected 5,000 people to show up. And I called Guy and asked him if he'd be willing to donate some ice cream for all the new people we expected to show up that day. Well, 6,000 people came. And this is a shot of our lobby. Four services, our lobby was like this, they couldn't even get into the worship center that day. And at the end of our four services, I looked into the camera and I said this. I said, maybe it's time for some of you to taste and see that God is good. And for all of you people at our new campus, I said, Kemp's wanted you to actually taste and see that Kemp's is good. And I know it's hard to believe. So they donated some ice cream bars for all of you to grab on the way out, and the place went nuts. Kemp's truck was out there with some recruits Guy brought with him, and by the end of the weekend, I'm telling you, Guy was in tears. But not because of ice cream. But because of what he saw God do in a church that day. Where 6,000 new people got their first taste of how good God is. How forgiving and kind. And that he can give them a new kind of love. A new kind of joy that they've never experienced. A new kind of peace and power and companionship. God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. They took their first step away from sin and death and found that God and Kemp's is really good. And that's what this series is all about. How to leave the old life of sin. By the way, whenever I write a message like this, I always write it to me first. It's really about me. If you all just wanted to listen in today, that's great. If you can learn something, but it's really... It's really about me, what God needs to do in my life. I do want to leave you with three questions to ponder as you leave today and get on with the rest of your day. The first question is this. What's winning the battle in your life? You know, is it, is it God's spirit? Are you dialed in every day? Or is the sinful human nature got too much control? What's winning the battle? Second question What's your signature sin? If you don't know, ask somebody in your life who knows you. If you're married, your spouse, he or she'll tell you. (laughs) Your kids. A few years back when my son was just 10, I I said, Dave, and I was just trying to be transparent. I said, Dave, is there a sin that, that I struggle with that you're aware of? And he was eating some cereal and he just wiped his cereal with his sleeve. He said, sin, Dad, isn't it more like sins? And he started listening to him. I said, oh, Okay, got it. 
Your kids will tell you. They see it. Identify what it is. Be honest before God. Ask forgiveness of those who've been the recipients of that. And then final question, will you taste and see? And for most of us, it's will you retaste every day, retaste and see that God is good. It has been a pure joy to be with you. I love your pastor. You have a fantastic staff. And I love you. I don't know you. But I can see it. I can see your faces. I can see your smile. I can see God working. This is a great church. It's been my honor and privilege to be with you today. God bless. We'll see you next week. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.